Hello, everybody, and thank you for tuning in to the Liberty Report. With us today is Chris Rosini, our co-host. Uh, Chris, welcome to the program. It's great to be with you again, Dr. Paul. Very good. Uh, today, uh, we're going to talk about money and economy, which we try to do quite frequently on Fridays. But, you know, uh, just a couple days ago, uh, we had a little get-together to sort of uh, commiserate over the 50-year uh, anniversary of the the, uh, the, the, the dissolution of the uh, dissolving of the uh, Bretton Woods Agreement. The Bretton Woods Agreement uh, occurred way back in 1971 and had an influence on my uh, interest in the monetary issue because there were many who predicted that would happen and it did. And uh, But it's been 50 years since then and we want to talk a little bit about that and where we stand today and what is the next step because uh, we've tinkered with the money supply from the very, very beginning in the monetary issue. We've gone from pure gold standards uh, to pure paper standards, and uh, it looks like we're in flux right now. And a lot of pain and suffering happens when they start messing with the money because when they inflate a currency, somebody suffers. Some people benefit, but many people suffer. So we've had 50 years of total fiat money, and a lot of mischief has gone on with that. And I would say one of the greatest danger has been the wealth transfer. It has transferred in many ways uh, to the very wealthy class. I see that, uh, you, you, you know, that uh, uh, they usually don't pay taxes, and it's the upper middle class that's paying most of the taxes. So that has continued, and their social discord right now, which has been compounded by the uh, lockdown over the coronavirus, and the people are unhappy, and now we've had an obvious setback in the appearance of our, of our foreign policy, which is important monetarily, because uh, when an empire is very young and great and powerful, it conveys a bit of trust into the currency. We've had the reserve currencies the, since uh, World War II, and we have benefited tremendously. And I think what we're seeing now, especially with the current president and all that's going on and what's going on with uh, COVID, uh, that uh, that uh, that that appearance of, of our strength in the uh, in the strength of our empire has been really challenged. So I think that a lot of things have happened over this period of time. But Chris, what I want to talk a little bit about today, and I know you'll have some comments on that, is, you know, uh, things are bad. We've talked about it. A lot of people have talked about how long is this going to last and, and how, uh, just how bad is it and what will happen and what can the people do? Uh, and my first answer to that is there's no magic switch. You can't just turn it on and turn it off and everything is settled. But we still have to analyze how we got here, why we are here, what is the moral imperative here, what is the constitutional imperative, and what is the uh, financial imperative where people are using the monetary system to transfer wealth even further, uh, rewarding some at the expense of others. So Chris, uh, how have you looked at this problem? This Yes, as far as the history goes, you know, it may be hard for modern Americans to believe this, but Americans used to have financial control over the government. Americans were able to keep the government on a short leash financially. They couldn't just do whatever they want like they do today. And that was because the dollar, the paper dollars, used to be convertible into gold. Your dollar was 
a representation of gold. So Americans could and did go to the treasury and they would uh, cash in their dollars for actual gold. Well, in 1933, FDR got rid of that and Americans could no longer do that because obviously they wanted to counterfeit money. But uh, at that time, foreigners could still do that. They could still from all around the world cash in their dollars for gold. So they were under the impression that the dollars they held were equivalent to gold. Well, by the time 1971 came around, the U.S. counterfeited so much on wars and welfare and great societies and rebuilding the world that other countries were saying, you know what, let's cash in these paper dollars. They're counterfeiting so much of it. And they were cashing in so much that Nixon, that the, the U.S. was running low on gold. The gold was just flying out of the country. So Nixon had to decide, do we let everybody take the gold or do we keep it? And Nixon decided to keep the gold and he stiffed the rest of the world. They were stuck with the paper. So, and, and ever since we've been on just a paper standard where they could just print and print and print and now they're printing trillions at a time and this is going to end very badly, uh, you know, until we need major reforms. Uh, and I want to add a little bit to, to that, Chris, and talk a little bit about the history. But uh, going even before our history, starting at the time of our revolution, uh, it's quite evident that uh, the monetary issue has been around for thousands of years. It's biblical in nature, uh, where uh, it was condemned uh, to uh, have dishonest weights and measures, and uh, the Roman Empire had runaway inflation. These kind of things have existed for a long time. Governments like to control money. When they do, they abuse it. And uh, Chris, you've already listed so many things that our government has done and abused. And uh, the reason why this is important is what can we do to try to guide our country into a, uh, a reform that is sound and might be longer lasting? Well, the first example of us getting into trouble happened before the country was really established. In uh, 1775, they passed an act, the Continental Congress passed an act which legalized the Continental Dollar, which was pure fiat. Uh, and it turned out that it served mostly as a tax. People would turn in their hard money uh, for the continental money. But anyway, it, it failed. It, it lasted until uh, 1781. So it was very short. It, uh, it was left with a saying that it's not, worth, it's not worth a continental because the continentals became worthless. And, uh, but the founders were aware of this. And when they wrote, drew up the Constitution, they knew history well. And they knew their own history. And there was a great debate over the monetary issue. So they settled the debate and, dis and some disagreements by saying that nothing but gold and silver could be used as legal tender and that uh, only uh, gold and silver could be used as legal tender. Matter of fact, in 1792, they thought that the death penalty would be adequate punishment for people who, who counterfeited uh, the money. But, you know, this sort of lasted for a while. You know, the, the Constitution was honored to a large degree. But uh, it, it, um, it, it faded, though, as soon as the war between the states uh, broke out. You know, the, the, the war there in 1961, as usual so often throughout history, first thing you do is suspend 
the, the restraint on spending so you can uh, make your country safe and secure and run the defenses. So in 1961, the greenbacks were introduced under Lincoln, and that lasted up until 1975. So uh, it was a way of paying bills, but the greenbacks were pure fiat, and they were parallel running with the others. But obviously, uh, the, the, the value of the dollar and the value of the greenbacks uh, went, went down. So by 19, 1875, they decided, well, we have to do something thing because uh, the northern government then went back to spending and they were running up debts and there was loss of confidence. There was an economic problem. So they decided the people were in support of this and the bankers even, everybody supported the idea. We better put uh, a backing to the currency and we better define our currency uh, as a weight of gold. And, and they did this. And this is to me one of the most interesting part of monetary history. In 1875, they passed the uh, uh, Restoration Act to restore store the dollar to uh, being backed by gold. And uh, uh, there was a debate on that, and the law was passed. And on the uh, first, uh, I think it was January 1st of 1875, uh, the gold was restored. But it had to pass the test of confidence because uh, they've gone through the lack of confidence and the lack of redemption. But uh, guess what? You know, people really worried about this, and the uh, government was spending a lot of money. So for this to work, the government would have to slow up the spending. And one of the reasons they were spending so much, was going into social welfare type of programs after after the Civil War. So, but when they passed this bill and when the resumption started uh, four years later at, at the beginning of uh, 1879, people worried about it, but only a few people redeemed their paper currency. They were immediately reassured because everybody was getting their gold. And all the, all the worry and the concerns just sort of dissipated. So it was the confidence that they wanted. And unlike today, the people believed the government, the government would cut spending and they would honor the uh, currency, uh, honor, honor the currency with, with the gold redemption. So they, they, well, they, you know, that worked and they got back. So a lot of times people will ask me, how do you go back? How do you go back uh, to a gold standard? That's the way we did, we did go back, but I don't tell people, well, that's easy, just do that, because uh, the, the world is different, and this country is different, and trusting government is different, and uh, the people wouldn't believe the government, uh, you know, that they're going to redeem it, and they're going, they'd have to promise they'd quit spending. Can you imagine a nickel being spent, uh, cut in the budget today with COVID and the wars going on and all that spending? It's not going to happen. So we have to think about what is the alternative is, how long, where, where will this go? And, uh, you know, in, in the 20th century, it was strictly downhill. 1913, the Federal Reserve came in, and they, they were destined to be the ones that would manipulate and maneuver uh, the uh, value of the currency downward. And, of course, in 1933, uh, Roosevelt, you know, called in the gold, uh, confiscated gold, stole the gold for the people, immediately devalued. Gold went from $20 an ounce to $35 an ounce, but the people didn't benefit from that. The government benefited from it. And after the war, we were in the driver's seat. Uh, we, there was a lot of confidence conveyed to the, our government and our currency, uh, which in 
in minute detail wasn't deserved, but it was deserved because we won the war, we were safe and secure, and we didn't suffer near, nearly as much. We had all the gold, we had a powerful military, and we still had a lot of wealth. So when they went to Bretton Woods in 1944, we were in the driver's seat and got control of the reserve currency of the world, which has provided trillions of dollars worth of value to us, us ever since, except we abused it immediately and started printing money and handing it out, and that is what led up to the, what uh, Chris uh, mentioned at, at Bretton Woods. At, by, uh, by 1971, we totally ruined it, and it had to stop and had to go to something else. To me, the amazing thing is it's lasted for 50 years, this total fiat currency, but there's a lot of pain and suffering out there. There's a lot of bad seeds planted out there. There's been a, a lot of harm done because it's the welfare warfare state, and also the social discourse a discord that we have right now. This is related to the fact that uh, the money uh, uh, has been has been abused and the, and the distortions have occurred. So, Chris, the way I see it, it's not going to last a whole lot longer. You, you know, every once in a while I get a prediction right, and uh, my prediction here uh, that what we're doing today will not last for another 50 years. I agree <laughs> with that, Dr. Paul. And uh, because we're in this situation, you know, the common question is, well, what should we do? What, what should we do? Well, like Dr. Paul said, there is no magic wand answer. It really is different for everyone. Uh, you know, politicians always think everyone needs to. Everyone must. Everyone needs a mask. Everyone needs. That's how politicians think. Do not think like a politician. When, when you hear everyone must, you should be very suspicious, even if it comes out of our mouth. Uh, you know, <clears throat> now, if there is a common thread for people, it sh it's that, you know, hard assets um, <clears throat> are better than keeping cash that is constantly depreciating. Now, what those hard assets happen to be, there's precious metals. We see today huge financial institutions are going out, they're buying houses, they're buying entire neighborhoods, they're paying well over asking price, you know, and there's people that are afraid that they're going to own everything. Well, two thirds. Two thirds of Americans own their homes, so we don't have to worry about you know uh, these big financial institutions owning all the homes. What they are doing, though, is getting out of their cash and putting it into something solid, some some asset that they believe will not depreciate. You know, I had grandparents that uh, lived under suffered under communism, and they told me stories, all the creative ways, you know, when the money went bad, of how they were able to protect themselves. You know, they talked to other people. They you know, there's there's lots of ways to be creative, but it's up to each individual. There's no everyone must. That's how politicians think, and we implore you not to do that. Very good. You know, and some of the things that we should anticipate because there are some economic laws that control it. What, what we can't understand and know about is exactly when it will happen and to what extent it will happen. And some of the things that happens when a currency is destroyed, of course, it causes a lot of disruption and political problems and a lot of anger and uh, the transfer of wealth uh, causing a lot of problems too. But uh, when you print a lot of money out of thin air and you expect the people to, to accept it at a reasonably steady uh, value uh, as if it were backed by something, uh, it doesn't work. Prices go up because 
not because of uh, what the businessman is doing or even what the consumers are doing or what the labor unions are doing. That's not the reason the prices go up in general. The prices go up because the value of the currency goes down. So, so often I hear, and you'll hear it again before all this is over, is uh, we currently going through this. We have uh, this pandemic, which was, has been overblown. Uh, and what is what, what do they say needs help? We need more money. We, we can't, you know, pay for things. <clears throat> and they blame a shortage of money, where in reality, it's the excesses of money being pumped in and allowing certain people to use it. And when it gets devalued, other people get the, uh, you know, get a chance to use it. But they, they get it with uh, prices going up, which in many ways <clears throat> is a form uh, of a tax. I think we should expect bubbles to burst. Uh, there is no way that this uh, stock market is going to uh, keep going up at the rate it's going. Uh, if it does go up more, then it has to only go up when the dollar has lost tremendous amount of value. So in, in, in reality, the value doesn't go up. The numbers might go up. But right now, I would say even the numbers are going to go down because I think the old-fashioned panic uh, and the concerns about a bubble in the stock market usually means that it will it will go down and people will panic and and get get out. Uh, I don't I don't think there's any such <coughs> excuse me I don't think there's anything like there's going to be a soft landing or something like that. The greatest threat is in the midst of all this will be the attack on our liberties because they will use it as an excuse. Uh, and that, that I think is, should be our biggest concern. Very good, Dr. Paul. I will finish hopefully with a word of optimism. And um, that is that the future is unwritten, no matter how dark the clouds may be today. What comes next is up to the people ultimately. And planners may try to force uh, something on everyone like they're trying to do with vaccines, uh, but it's up to the people to say yes or no. And with these forced vaccines, we are seeing all over the world very, very strong resistance. So just because elitists and central planners may want something and plan for something and think that it's absolutely inevitable, it doesn't mean that it will be at all. And the same applies to whatever reforms come in the monetary sphere. You know, there are a lot of people that are afraid they're going to force us to do this, force us to do that. It's not a done deal. It is up to the people with the final say, yes or no. And our job is to help to convince as many people as we can that if it's not sound money, the answer right away is absolutely no. Very good. You know, the um, things that I've thought about over the years and anticipating problems like this was that one of the solutions could be something that Hayek suggested, and uh, why, why don't we have more market determination of money and uh, have competition in money? And I'm for that. I'm not uh, exactly optimistic that it's going to happen, but in a free society, that would happen. You could use anything they want. But many Many times over throughout history, like 5,000 years, when there was more freedom of choice on an individual basis, the replacement for barter was always, you know, the voluntary decision to use an alternative, which uh, uh, drifted toward and eventually uh, the gold and silver was, was used uh, most, most of the time for this. It was only when governments became more powerful that they learned how to abuse this. 
So even though that legislation was introduced, uh, I didn't think it was going to get passed. It's not going, likely to get passed, but it makes a point that maybe the people themselves would be better. They certainly would be better than allowing a, a, you know, a group of people secretly at the Federal Reserve deciding what money is and isn't. You know, that, that, uh, that doesn't uh, work so well. Uh, they, uh, t- they, they take advantage of that. But uh, a couple of things I think, if there is a sincere effort at monetary reform, that they ought to consider, and I, this was the type of thing that they considered when they uh, introduced uh, the, uh, the dollar after the, the failure of the uh, continental dollar uh, with our constitution. Uh, and that is convertibility. If the government's gonna pr- print certificates, uh, you know, to honor something and they wanna use it as if, it has to be uh, a trustworthy promise to be converted into something of real value. And the real value that they've used for many, many years has been gold and silver. Uh, that, that has been generally used because this idea of how do you recover from runaway inflation, that's been around for a long time. Most of the time the recoveries come uh, with, uh, with, with the promise of using sound money. The continental dollar went to nothing, but it was restored in a way uh, by, uh, by a promise that people believed in, uh, convertibility. That's what happened after the Civil War. Convertibility to something and belief that the government uh, would, uh, would follow through on their promises. But along with this, to do this, people would have to give up their appetite uh, for spending. The people themselves, if the demand is too great and they're going to get rid of their politicians, if the politicians are going to pursue this, uh, it won't work either. The people would have to understand what's going on and say, we can't have a welfare state and we can't have a warfare state. We can't finance the military industrial complex where they accumulate great amounts of wealth and frequently don't pay as much taxes or any taxes at all. Uh, That would have to happen. So that's a major thing. So if you have convertibility and cutting spending, which is what they did after the Civil War, but uh, we'd also have to give up this uh, political notion. People, people uh, generally like their country to be very, very strong. I want my country to be very, very strong and very, very influential in the promotion and the understanding and the practice of liberty to show how that worked, how a voluntary society worked. But too many people say that they are very patriotic and feel like that this is what it means to be good patriots, and that is to have an empire and run things. And even this morning I heard something on news that it was just terrible what's happening in Afghanistan because we have to have a presence there. We can't ever leave, uh, leave this area. And I think we should have never been in there, of course. But uh, that is something we'd have to give up on the empire. And that's a major hurdle because it's identified with patriotism. If you're giving up your empire, you're giving up your country, which is absolutely false because if you run a, if a country is operating under a a free market and volunteerism, it becomes more influential. It spreads its message much more so because people would look and say, wow, look at what's happening. And we had some relative benefits like that over the years when we were the freest country and uh, other people would come and see that we were so prosperous, but that's fading now, that's fading. And when these bubbles burst and and people reject and there's further deterioration of our international uh, respect 
this, this is going to get a lot worse, and uh, and, and the, the p people will have to have to adapt if they can if they want to see real reform. Under today's conditions, they're not ready to uh, go along with these the necessary, you know, convertibility and uh, spending less money and backing away from the the empire. But one basic thing that people would have to uh, accept would be the uh, uh, question about what, what should the role of government be? If we're aiming for a free society, uh, what, uh, uh, what, what, what is that like? Uh, that, that is one thing. It should be defined and know what it's like, uh, what, what limitations. Of course, the government would be very, very limited. The founders did a pretty good job on limiting government. They had a lot of things the federal government, at least, were not supposed to do, was not supposed to do. So under t today's condition, we'd have to have a better understanding of, uh, of what the role of government should be. And it shouldn't be to provide perfect safety for us in all matters, social matters, religious matters, medical matters, uh, financial matters, you know, everything that we do, if things don't go well with your own personal uh, operations and your personal activity, you can't go and demand that the government steal from somebody else and take care of you. So that, that wouldn't work. It would have to be, the role of government would be there to protect our liberty believing and being convinced that if we have that liberty, of course, we'll all be much better off and it provides, provides for more peace and prosperity. To me, it's that free society that will bring people together who have different opinions because you have to give up under these conditions. You have to give up the whole principle of you know, violence. People can't be violent and uh, taken and stealing and certainly they can't allow the government to steal and that's what inflation is all about and that's what appropriations are all about in the welfare state that's what uh, running the empire and policing the world is all about that would have to be given up that's a major undertaking and somebody say well you don't even believe it's going to happen next year or next month why do you talk about it and I talk about it because uh, it's a good goal to have because it's, at least you will set a goal and go in a certain Certain direction and the other goals are allowing the people who are setting the goal now the cultural Marxists and the people who believe that the government is going to take care of us and make us safe and secure and a safety net for everybody under any condition well guess what if it worked it'd be a tougher job you know uh, not supporting it but it doesn't work. That's the whole thing. It doesn't work. So these wonderful principles of liberty work, and the evidence is there that the freer our country, the more prosperous the country is. And I think those are very good goals. And I want to thank uh, all the viewers today for tuning in uh, uh, to the Liberty Report. Please come back soon.